Welcome to the Humans of Hospitality podcast. I know so many of you listening to this show love your local bar, your local restaurant, maybe your local hotel, and have so many fond memories of time in hospitality businesses. This is the podcast where we get to chat to the human beings behind the scenes of that industry. Maybe the chefs or the bakers or the coffee roasters or the gin distillers or the craft brewers or the entrepreneurs, but all doing an amazing job of making sure that hospitality stays interesting and the big dull formulaic brands do not take over our high street please enjoy the show Welcome to this week's episode where I am chatting with Joe Lovett from Bad Hand Coffee, a cracking coffee roastery down in Bournemouth on the south coast of the UK. And this uh, this conversation very much goes in two halves, really. The first half is very much about Joe's uh, journey and his story, uh, why an, an abandoned stable brothel and crack den became the perfect home for his coffee roasters. Uh, we go off on a bit of a tangent around going plant-powered and the impact that's had on running and recovery. Um, a little conversation around low commitment dining and what that even means uh, and why Bad Hand, Bad Hand is a terrible name but way better than a roast dinner. And in the second half we go a little bit more industry specific. Joe nails the whole reason for this podcast being in his great description of why where we spend our money is so important and we touch on the financial challenges of hospitality and cafes and going in with your eyes wide open. Okay, I very much hope you enjoy our conversation. So, uh, Joe, thank you so much for sparing the time. It's a super busy time of the year. I know just coming up to uh, to Christmas in our world, but uh, thank you for sparing the time. How are you? Good, man. Pleasure yeah. to be here. Yeah. Cool. Good. Um, can you just set the scene? You have literally the coolest office. I think mine's pretty cool because it overlooks the ocean, but yours is is this 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 kind of crazy building you've ended up. Can you just explain where we are, how long you've been here, a little bit about it? Well, this is a abandoned stables and workhouses, I think, from the Victorian era that was... I think part of the, if I may be wrong on this, stuff I've heard is it's part of the Ives estate, which was part of the very early parts of Bournemouth. Right. Uh, and this would have been the workshops for it. So it's now in a really rundown area of the triangle. It's when we moved in, we had a brothel opposite. We had nice. drug deals going on outside all the time, but actually it's the area is getting nicer all the time. By, by saying then, it's in a stables, it makes it sound like, like we're out in the country somewhere, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are literally in the heart literally, and the town yeah, centre. Right, slap bang in the centre of the town, which is yeah. kind of where we wanted to take roasting coffee was back into, so not out on industrial estates. And uh, yeah, roasting coffee had got very, um, very few roasters roasting very big scale, lots of white label stuff. And uh, it'd been taken away from the early days when it was a roaster in every town. Mm. And what I loved about Australia and New Zealand is there's two roasters in most towns and then you drink the coffee you like. like you like this roaster or you like that roaster, you go to this cafe because they serve the coffee you like. So I, I grew up in a town where there was a coffee roaster. I moved to another town, there was a coffee roaster. Neither town has roasters in now. Where was this? In So originally in Devon, there was a little okay. coffee roaster where we lived. And then when I moved to Livington, there was a um, Simon Hayes tea and coffee shop and he used to roast every weekend. And uh, you'd wow. smell that. And uh, so, uh, so, so roasting to in the town centre was really important to me. Find somewhere yeah. that's actually in the town centre, not an industrial estate. So. Yeah, similar to the craft beer thing then, when there used to be craft brewers everywhere, same yeah. way they disappeared and it happened with the roasteries as yeah. well. They just sort of disappeared. I, I put a lot of it down to the um, 
the financial crash 2008, I think actually helped because <laughs> yeah. it, it wiped out a lot of the very homogenized high street shops. You know, it was tons and tons of chain shops. It was very, as an independent, when we opened our first cafe, it was incredibly hard to get in at a venue. In most places were empty and we'd start negotiating. They're like, oh, we've never run a place before. Mm, no. And they just didn't even want to talk to us because they knew they'd get a chain, a big corporate come in. Um, when everything got empty and went empty for ages, then the high street had to rethink itself. And suddenly you're getting things that can't trade on the internet. So it's, you know, barbers in a big way, cafes in a big way, all those things start coming back. And then you start to see a resurgence in hand crafting things of people brewing beer, roasting coffee, all these skills started coming back. People started thinking differently. So there's definitely been that huge resurgence. Mm. And, uh, I feel like, you know, bringing coffee roasting back into a town just sits in nicely with that. It's what should be happening in the town. And I think it's the future of making high streets more, or town centres, more viable places and nicer places to live rather than just looking at everything that you could just buy online. Which... Mm. Yeah, nice. Okay. We'll come back to that because I think where the high street's going and the, and the downfall of retail and whether realistically hospitality can can fulfil that kind of space. We'll come yeah. back to that a little bit later. But just staying on this space then. So when you moved in, it, we, and we had, it wasn't a barn at the time, two, but no, it was pretty run down. Two years ago, yeah. It had been a tyre garage, but from the evidence here, it was more of a brothel and crack den from upstairs. We ripped out a lot of drug growing equipment from the upper decks in nice. this place. Great, great selling point. And uh, I think it just been owned by a developer who wanted to knock it down put 28 flats on uh, to be fair to the council they were brilliant they, they wouldn't let him put 28 one bed flats they wanted two bed flats because it's better for people in the town center it's more you can have families live there or it's cheaper for people it's very expensive to live on your own uh so that made the development unworthwhile and then they wanted a car parking space for each flat again another good thing for the council to promote so as a development opportunity it was kind of dead so he'd been letting it go to rack and ruin um but eventually he'd given up on developing it so um Sold it, yeah. Right, and you saw it and went, oh, that's perfect. Yeah, that's absolutely I, ideal. I bought, yeah, I loved it. I fell yeah. in love with it. It had <laughs> no roof. The dump. Yeah, hardly any walls. Caving it in everywhere, yeah. Of. It was so full of junk. It took us, I think, eight to 12 weeks just to empty it. Just wow. loading skips, 30 tonnes we ripped out of just junk. Not even, and I'm good at salvaging fun stuff. I don't think I even filled a bucket with anything that was worth keeping. It was literally just junk. Just wow. squat junk, drug junk, car junk, all sorts of junk. Was, uh, yeah, but... um. Yeah, it's good to get it. I, I actually bought a developer friend of mine round to, cause when we we're trying to finance it. And a, a big motivation for moving here was to own our own place and not yeah, be in the pockets of a, a landlord anymore. Although we had good experience with landlords. We also had bad experience with landlords along the way, leaseholds. And what I most found was just very slow to get anything done. If we wanted to make any adjustments, it was years before we could get an okay to do something. So, And we like to move more quickly than that. So wanted to be our own landlords. So I brought a developer friend around with an idea that, yeah, he'd love this place. Yeah, <laughs> He might want to get involved with it as a partnership or something. And he just came around and said, no one in their right minds. He goes, you're going to get this for a steal because literally no idiot is going to want to touch that place. Excellent. Oh, <laughs> I might just be that idiot. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, so. but, but what you've done with it is incredible. Although, you know, we're sat in a room, I don't know, what was this? It's kind of got old tiled walls now, and a big hearth on. This absolutely would have been a stable that... Um, right. So the flooring sort of gives it away and the drain going down through the middle and then the glazed bricks, you can see the hoof marks all around the, the bottom. Wow. So I think this possibly would have been fire station um, so that when they were horse drawn. So there's a natural spring just up here and the horses would have been loaded up hills so they can get a run up down the hill and we're up a hill. So it's likely mm -hmm. this would have been like a, for the estate, would have been like a little fire station or 
bridalry in this room. Okay. Since there's been a bakery, there's some recipes and bakery stuff written on the wall over there that we can't scrub off. Amazing. So yeah, this room's been a few things. Yeah. But. So it, it does aid your coffee looking even cooler than it is. But it's not just coffee here. You've you've kind of split the space. Is that right? And use it for lots of stuff. Or? Yeah. So bit by bit, the idea is to renovate the building's way too big for us. So the idea is to renovate the whole building. Uh, as sympathetically as we can so keep it looking pretty rustic pretty cool not too corporate not too polished uh, and then sublet spaces to small startup businesses so businesses that are only in their first year or so or just starting from scratch flexible leases uh, no rent deposits just make it as easy as possible if someone's got an idea and wants to give it a go we can work with you as easy as possible so okay. we've got four tenants so far we've got another one coming next year and we've still got about 30 to 40 percent of the building still to do up and rent out amazing and what sort of stuff are they doing is this so it sounds like hipsters paradise which mm-hmm. as you were thinking of running an event called hipsters paradise Brilliant. because it's become a bit of a joke but we've we've got obviously our roasteries in here and we've then got a couple called jim and cara who have started a company green label chef which is all vegan catering. Um, so they supply several businesses around the area that want better vegan products. Um, they also do catering and functions and stuff, and they're looking at maybe bringing out a line of produce they could sell. Um, yeah, they're sort of growing. They, Jim was a chef for us before, um, although a chef at loads of places his whole life. And his wife, Cara, had started running Cara's Vegan Supper Club, which is a pop-up night that was doing really well. And yeah, they both worked for other people their whole lives and wanted to take a plunge. So Amazing. yeah, they've taken yeah. some kitchen space. Yeah, Cara uh, used to work with me actually a few years ago. Did so, you? Yeah, oh, yeah, she did, great. didn't she? Yeah, yeah, yeah they're good. Yeah. They're good. Yeah, and lovely, she, lovely She's food. always worked for us on and off, yeah. like whilst working other jobs and stuff. Ever since we opened Boscanova, and she's a hard worker. Yeah. And then Jim was a friend of mine from college days, and um, came to work for us at Boscanova, and he had enough of getting his ass kicked in restaurants and yeah. bad hours, never seeing his kids. Came work to Boscanova, and they, to be fair, they did a cracking job. They both loved it. He transformed the kitchen. Um, and when it was time for us to sell the cafe, I think Jim felt it was time for him to try his hand, do his own thing for a bit as well. So, Amazing. Yeah, yeah they're in their early days doing well. Yeah, um, that's really good. Yeah, and such a huge growth in the last 18 months, particularly, I think, around the whole plant-powered food yeah. stuff. We've noticed it in our restaurants. It's still Just incredibly huge. niche, but mm. it's in such a growth area. Growth it's fantastic. is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah it really is. Yeah, we, yeah It's a good movement as well. I'm not mm. vegan myself, but mm. I really respect people mm. who are, or just people who choose to eat vegan, like myself, I eat vegan 80% of the time. So I eat plant-based. I'm not vegan by any means. I still love a good steak. Yeah. Um, but I just try and eat massively less meat, like once yeah. a week, twice a week max. Yeah, same. I, I actually were about, uh, about 10 months ago, stopped, stopped eating meat and yeah. went pretty much 100% whole food plant-based. Yeah. Uh, unless I'm traveling. So I was in Morocco a couple of weeks ago and I uh, had a couple of lamb tagines. But in the UK, yeah. I find meat-free is really easy. Um, Dairy-free is a bit more of a challenge. So, But most yeah. of the time, I'm, I'm, I'm in essence vegan. Um, but that's a whole nother Why whole did you do topic. that? Uh, uh, health predominantly, I guess. I, I, I did some learning. It's um, yeah. I I, uh, I had a, a um, malignant mole in my arm um, so that needed yeah. to be cut out. So in essence, a cancerous mole, and um, it made me just start looking into um, health and fitness a little bit more, and kind of you know cancer yeah. and tumors and stuff. So I went on a bit of a journey where I just you know I love learning anyway. Yeah. But also in my role, rabbit hole. A restaurant. <laughs> yeah, Daniel it was really like yeah. went on for about four months. I read a load of books, watched a load of movies, and bearing in mind that you know I was pretty anti-vegan. You know the the, the complaints and I. Still am to be fair. I think vegans do a disservice to the healthy eating market. Yes. I think yeah. I think the whole kind of plant-based health 
and environmental benefits and the benefits of planet earth are fascinating and i don't think you're ever going to stop people eating meat by telling them not to what you've got to do is create a really nice alternative and that's what's really changed and i'm sure Kara's doing that is that you know provide really really good interesting yeah, plant-based food options yeah. where it's no longer a, uh, a compromise and it doesn't feel like you're missing out i think the first kind of uh black bean rice kind of beetroot some um, spiced veggie burger that i ate and i was like oh my god like that's amazing i would naturally have just gone for you know the cheese bacon and steak burger every time but i had this vegan one and i was like wow that's actually the yeah. flavors of that the texture of that really really beautiful and you do kind of feel better after you don't get a slump yeah really one good. Thing I know. Yeah. sometimes you might compromise a tiny bit on that experience of the real dirty burger yeah but afterwards i feel so much better for not having had there because yeah. even now we'll like every now and then we'll go down to five guys or something for five guys with a few of us on a friday and the hour or two afterwards, I'm I'm asleep. I'm on my ass. <laughs> I like regret it so much just for that few minutes of eating something real greasy and nice. Yeah. I feel terrible for a couple of hours. I think, why do I bloody do this? <laughs> yeah, it's weird. I, w- I would never have believed it. You know, I sell, I sell, you know, predominantly meat and fish restaurant burgers, our biggest selling item. I would never have believed that I would even have tried it, but to try it and to enjoy it so much. And, yeah. and I've been introduced to so much kind of new and interesting food. And then I know it's recovery time. So I do quite a lot of cycling and my recovery time. And I'd read a bit about this when I was doing my research about the fact that, you, you know, kind of muscle soreness and recovery after intense Way exercise better. so you know i went out and did a it wasn't a huge amount it would be for some people but i rode about 70 miles one day and uh i remember coming down the following morning and seeing my wife in the kitchen and saying oh my god like i've literally got okay. no muscle pain whatsoever there might be something in this that's ridiculous you know I was I, just like, no friends very similar uh it runs a lot of marathons yeah. eating meat his whole life super fit guy so they switched to vegan as a family and um he is so lean now. He's always been real chunky. He was a bodybuilder when we were young. He was like under 18's champion or something. I mean, he's really into it and he's always stayed pretty hench, but very, very fit. Loads of sports. He's always been quite stocky. Switched to vegan. That was the only switch he made. Lean as he like, looks like a different guy. But he said the same. He started running. He said he can run further, way further. And his recovery time is half the time. Like he said yeah. marathon running, he can literally run a half marathon and the next day feels fine to go yeah, out for a jog. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm utterly convinced that there is a inevitability now about people go into a more plant-based diet. I don't think it will be all the time for everybody yeah. like you. It'll be a predominantly plant-based because of the, you know, the environmental impact. There's just not enough land on earth for everybody to carry on yeah. eating as much beef. And it's actually helped me quite a lot. I'm, I'm way more relaxed about it now than I was because I'm kind of like, it used to just annoy me. Now we've got whole plant-based sections on, on the menus at all yeah. of our restaurants. And how I'm, and how I'm do like, they perform at the restaurants? Um, good. Yeah, not not still. You know, there's, there's nothing, nothing beats the uh, the burger. Even yeah. if you put a lovely sea bass on, or a nice kind of steak, or or yeah, risotto, whatever. You know, burger's still the biggest selling item. Um, but again, just noticing the difference in popularity now compared to two years ago. Yeah, whereas before putting it on the menu would have been a bit of a pain because you just from a kind of wastage and freshness yeah. and throwing it away and all that kind of stuff. Um, good. The challenge actually is getting the chefs because chefs have got, you know, quite often the classic kind of French training, uh, lots of butter, yes, lots of cream, yeah. lots of sauces. They've got uh, to think outside the box now. Yeah, like, yeah. and, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it catching up. I think the consumer's there, um, but I don't think, uh, and there, clearly there are some chefs, and it's you know yeah. like like Kara, like um, but I think it's going to be some time yeah before it's. I think easy. this is where these guys are trying to step in. You need to give them a shout. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I think but we've gone. To, they're trying to um, create. I think where they're hoping to go is to create some ranges of stuff that they can sell to restaurants where the chefs aren't creating amazing vegan food, so they yeah. can kind of back that up because. 
a lot of it's so prep intensive. Yeah. They, they can get that done and provide the raw ingredients to make a really good vegan option and mm. sort of fulfill that into places because there aren't enough chefs who know how to do yeah. it. And I will moment. say for yeah. my senior chefs, they're actually enjoying the challenge because I think like me, they love to learn. You know, when I started doing it, you know, learning about all these different pulses and, uh, and nuts and the old kind of grains and all the stuff that I just, yeah. just never really cooked with. And, and it, I, it got me back into cooking again because having a brigade of chefs means that I don't need to cook very yeah. often. <laughs> and I got quite lazy with it. But having a team of chefs who don't use those ingredients meant I needed to learn it. And then when I started chatting to the chefs and introducing them to some new ingredients, they were like, wow, this is, this is really interesting. So actually, although they're not there yet, they're enjoying the journey of learning because it's new to them. It as well. must get boring selling the same. And we experienced it with chefs over the years where you take on a new chef he's worked at a ton of places but he has a kind of repertoire mm. and um so they'd slip into the cafe environment and they'd want to put on lamb shank burger and, and we'd be like well well <laughs> this is a cafe with avocado on toast yeah. and you know, light vibrant salads and soups yeah. yeah and then the breakfast range eggs royale yeah. and eggs benedict yeah and yeah it's egg. a different style of food but mm. they continually always try and slip back into the dishes that don't they don't really suit the cafe mm. Yeah, um, yeah, cafe yeah, interesting, vibe. Interesting and, um, times. I could probably spend the next forty-five minutes just chatting about that whole movement and the difference and my opinion on it. We'll do a special yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, plant-powered episode Definitely. one yeah. day. Um, but just finishing off on here, so you've got the roastery, you've got the uh, the vegan food. Yeah, and, and then we've got a um, a craft brewery. Um, uh, who again is someone we know from years back. Actually, a friend, um, but he w went up to Scotland, worked in um, craft breweries for a long time, and came back, started in his mum's garage with a friend, brewing up some beer that tasted good. And this is their first leap beyond that into having their own brewery. So what's the name? Uh, Barefaced Brewing from Wimborne, but now obviously in Bournemouth Town Centre. Great. But um, they've got their first few batches out in the last month, pre-Christmas. So they've got barrels on at a few bars and so they've got bottles for sale. And um, they're doing a couple of events up to Christmas and I think they're going to full production from January. So Great, we'll have to try it. Yeah. We, I was with Steve from 8 Arch in Wimborne, funny enough, a couple of weeks ago. So, yes, uh, yeah, yeah they know to, those guys well. Yeah. yeah, perfect. No, I'll have to try the beer. We're, um, we're already trying a, a glass of wine and a, and a CBD coffee while we're sat yes. here. Um, <laughs> so yeah, whether we can get some more, we'll get the beers on. But It uh, is lunch, it is lunchtime. It, it is lunchtime. And, okay. I, and, I, and, I, yeah, and I have got a busy afternoon, so maybe we'll do the beer another day. So, okay, cool. Um, and then can you just talk me, so, uh, you know, I knew you back in your, uh, what was it, Boogaloo originally, Bosca Nova days. Yeah, just talk Boogaloo about that then. transition because you, you you set those up from scratch, I think, back in, what was it, what, 10 years ago? Was uh, it? 2007, I think we opened Bosca Nova. Yeah. Right. Yeah, 10, 11 years ago. Yeah, so Bosca Nova was just born out of frustration from, I've always worked in hospitality, so, and always in independence because change didn't really exist when I was a kid, I guess, or you didn't see them as much. So, yeah, I washed up at a ton of restaurants. So I can never remember a chain existing back then. And, um, particularly the first restaurant I washed up and was just the most vibrant, buzzing restaurant. It finished, they had a piano hoisted up. It was in an old church. A piano was sat on the wall, like, 20 foot high and they hoisted him up in like a crane seat and this guy Matt Black used to play honky tonk swinging around up there down in tequilas and by the end of the night everyone was on the tables and stuff it'd just get raucous it was Mexican food and it'd just get raucous run by a real character in Limington and to me that was the bar for restaurants and um, over the years they kind of got a lot calmer and tamer and changed formulaic formulaic yeah, yeah. good word and um, working abroad a lot yeah cafes kind of came to me as an option because I, I never wanted to be a restaurateur because the the lifestyle the hours I could always see oh it's not great I didn't know many restaurateurs you've managed it well but I didn't know many restaurateurs with a good family life yeah it's um it's a tough industry in that respect and family was important to me so while I wanted to do it I didn't know how to do it and still have the lifestyle I wanted so traveling I saw tons of amazing cafes um really busy I was like 
you don't have this in England. We've got greasy spoons, we've got pubs, and we've got restaurants, which I'd class as kind of high commitment. Um, pubs are pubs. Yeah, they were still smoky back then. Um, and cafes were very much greasy spoon. I was like, where do you go if you want low commitment dining and very fresh, healthy food? I might want to sit there all day, not doing much, or I might want to come for a meal with my family. Where, where does that sit in England? And it didn't, but California, Australia, really common. Um, so it just, it was an overwhelming drive to fulfill a, a gap in the market. Like what, we, we could do something totally different here. And <laughs> what do you mean by low commitment dining? I've not heard that. I quite like that. I wish I could do a low commitment uh, yeah. restaurant. <laughs> there was, um, it, it was a fra- it's not really so common now because it's so popular, but back 11 years ago, low commitment dining to me was you don't have to book a table. You're not okay. taking up a space. Yeah, you know, when you won't go to a restaurant, it's kind of a high commitment. You're taking one of their tables. They go sit you at a table, particularly back then, or you'd often have to book even at lunch times. Um, so low commitment dining would is more that you just turn up and maybe eat for 10 minutes, maybe sit there for three hours. There's no... I love that. I think drop that's in, indica- drop out. indicative of how laid back you are, the fact that actually a restaurant booking was the highest level of commitment <laughs> yeah, you could do. It's like, what, <laughs> too two, much, too two much. hours? Yeah. Like, no, I can't, well, I can't. I can't commit <laughs> no, to that. No, no. Do, have you got a mobile phone? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, it was something I just felt was missing. Yeah, really good, fresh produce from interesting food, but light meals. Um, and it took a while to find our feet with how we did it. It was, it was busy straight away because it looked different. We built everything out of junk we found. Um, and it was colourful, it was vibrant, it was f- full of junk, the staff were kind of the same, <laughs> and um, the menu was kind of crazy. But 11 years ago, it was easy. People didn't know what halloumi was. They didn't know what granola was. I grew up with hummus, so it was always obvious to me, but the amount of people who asked me what hummus was, wow, <laughs> I was brilliant. like, wow. <laughs> but yeah, some of the other stuff, more common, yeah, halloumi wasn't well known back then. Th- things that are very commonplace now, it, it was kind of easy back then to create a really unique menu. I would hate to try and do it now mm. yeah, with Instagram and the way things, mm. um, but also the cafe sector is vibrant now, the fast, low commitment dining sector, <laughs> you know, grab and goes, quick turnaround places. It, it's vibrant and full and I don't know where I'd find a niche. If I had to do it all again, I don't know where I'd find that niche now. Was that part of the decision then? So how long did you run that for and what was the decision in, in closing it or selling it? We sold it just six months ago. Um, uh, yeah, I'd lost the passion. Still loved the place. The place is still vibrant and doing really well. But it, I was too busy with other projects like this warehouse is taking up every penny and every moment. And um, you can't be in too many places at one time. And the cafe was never quite as good as I wanted it. It was doing really well, but I felt like it was declining slowly and I didn't want to see that. So selling it to new owners who were bringing back that passion I had 10 years ago has been a real pleasure, actually, because I'm watching it now and it's got a real buzz when I go in there, like much more of a buzz than it had in the last couple of years of me owning it. So um, it's kind of been nice to almost pass it on. They're running it very much the same. They've just tweaked everything, tuned everything. And it's just got that love that you can see the... Yeah, they really give a shit. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting, I think, because um, I think it's, it's very easy. Well, it's actually very hard to kind of to sell places that you've created and you've put all that time yeah. and effort into and to move on to it and, and not to judge yourself as, as, as failing in, if, in the fact that you can't make it work and do new projects. Yeah, I was just aware of doing too many things, not very well. And I was right. at the point in my life, I was like, I want to do less things and do them a lot better. And um, my passion's in this, not in the cafe anymore. So it was an obvious, I'd got to the point it was an obvious choice. I actually think I could have sold it two years ago 
um, would probably have been just as good a time or better time to have sold it. But again, it was making that, it's quite, it's like your baby. I can still remember bleeding, literally bleeding, cutting myself doing the refit and working. I, I think I did 48 hours straight there one time. I worked through the nights just trying to get it ready to open. And it, that memory is like yesterday. So yeah. there was a real wrench and then it go like, this is one of my children. Yeah, yeah no, I think it's incredible. And, and I feel the same with my venues as, you know, as we've added a few more and I'm a little bit guilty of the kind of, you know, shiny new toy and moving on to the next project but also it's such an evolving but, yeah. sector you know the stuff you talk about about how different or how much easier it was 11 years ago although it's easy now in the fact that people know the food and actually uh you know people are quite happy to go into those little independents they're what they are is very fickle I mean, they move on so quickly it's very yeah. easy for somewhere else to open I set up an instagram account pop some nice photos yeah. on and all of a sudden you're like hang on where's everybody gone they've all gone to the new place um that speed of information i think it's a tough market now and very faddy, I think, with, um, you know, if someone cool posts an Instagram picture of whatever. An influencer. Yeah, and then suddenly everyone's making that same dish and suddenly it's on everywhere and you've lost your USP. And uh, that faddiness, yeah, things come and go so quickly at the moment. Everyone's chasing those those fads customer-wise. And uh, I think that makes it very hard as an operator to stand out. You always need to just stick to, we do this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, and stand by it and let the fans come and go, I guess. Yeah, okay. I well, know, no, I think, you know, yeah, hats off for having, for being brave enough to go, okay, I've done my thing there. It's, uh, it's changed. Yeah. I'm going to do something else. What made you decide roasting coffee then? Well, roasting was, um, uh, it was always a goal actually. As soon as I got into coffee, I, I got obsessed with coffee and how do you make it better? Because I came back to England from a lot of time abroad and I was like, wow, our coffee is bad. Mm. And then um, opening the cafe, my prime goal wasn't coffee. I wanted to do really good coffee, but my goal was more service-based. It was more, I want brilliant food and brilliant coffee, but served to you by someone who gives a shit, who's got a smile on their face, who's going to think about you and what you're having. And are you going to have a nice time while you're in here? That was more the prime goal. And I, I still actually believe service does trump everything else. Good service trumps product. Great product with bad service leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Agreed. Um, so that was the prime goal. But then I was lucky enough with my first coffee training, which was provided free by the machine supplier, I think, or the coffee supplier, I can't remember. But we, we had a great coffee supplier um, and they had this brilliant Kiwi guy who was passionate about independence. So he got them some huge contracts, but he was also, independence was where he's at. Yeah, and, and New Zealand Australian coffee was a light years ahead of us back then. And um, he sold us a machine for far more than it was worth on a lease deal. <laughs> but, um, but it came with a training package so we went on this training course and just as luck would have it a guy James Hoffman who is, runs Square Mile Coffee he's like one of the top people in coffee in the world um, but it was just before he won the world barista championships and started Square Mile and became such a sort of coffee legend he was still doing training courses for La Spaziale um, so we had him do our training wow, course that's amazing <laughs> yeah he just made me this coffee that literally blew my socks off and I was like well, I'm not going to be happy to our coffee taste that good because <laughs> yeah. I was like, if it can taste this good, then that's what yeah. I want. So it was then just a never ending challenge to make the coffee taste better all the time. And it was just such a journey of trying to find, again, you didn't have that access to information. So back then you could only really buy a coffee that was Brazilian. You didn't know what farm it was from, let alone what process it was or what varietal of bean it was or any of this information that came two or three years later. So it was just this constant, and it still is a constant chase because it's an evolving product. It doesn't, it's a natural product. It's never the same. So it's a kind of chasing your tail, but uh, you get stuck eventually with, you can only do as a barista what you can do with the coffee that's given to you by the roaster. 
So you then end up moving roasters to a different roaster who's providing a slightly different style of coffee. So maybe I want to drink lighter roasted coffee. My roaster doesn't do it. So I moved to another roaster. Some roasters, the coffee was great, but um, Union Hand Roasted, brilliant company, great ethics, lovely coffee, but they started supplying supermarkets in quite a big way. And that just made it very difficult as an independent to justify the price. So if, if someone can then put a price on it, well, I can buy this coffee from the supermarket and make it myself for 45p a cup. It, it makes it very difficult to stay independent. So we left them was that, purely was that, for that reason. Really? But, purely that reason? Or, or did it upset you that somebody's gone and sort of, you know, gone gone out to the big guys and it, supplying no, such a large level? it or? didn't bother me because because so much of the coffee industry is really crap and it's run by shysters and commodity dealers and it's really bad product. And a lot of it, they hang their hat on, oh, it's got a fair trade certificate, but it mm. tastes like crap. Yeah, and they're just charging you more because it's got fair trade and the fair trade price is actually very low. It's not encouraging these farmers to grow better coffee and sell it for three times the yeah, amount. It's just locked them in at a bad price forever. Yeah, I'd it, love to touch on that because we get asked all the time, you know, why don't you sell fair trade coffee? And you're because like, it doesn't trade. work in coffee. Yeah, yeah it's and, not and a good... It, you know, it's kind of like a minimum, like it should never be worse than that, but it's such a low kind of base point, yeah, isn't it? And we it, can do so much the, better. The, problem as I'm aware and I'm, I'm real happy for someone to update me on my knowledge with this because mm. it's out of date but from what I learned years back was that it's fair trade in coffee hadn't worked well it's worked incredibly well in other industries but in coffee it hadn't and what it was doing was holding the farmers to a price so and, but that was all they then ever achieved and then there was no emphasis on quality because they were getting the fair trade price so it kind of locked farms at a level whereas other farmers that were selling via the cup of excellence or selling direct working with roasters yeah, they were encouraged to increase quality and the value they got for their beans went up you know, mm. three, four, five, ten times fair trade price mm. as potential. And still... But they're encouraged to make the coffee better, which fair trade to me should be all the way down to you coming to my cafe and you pay me more for a cup of coffee because it's got the fair trade logo on. It should taste better. Mm. It should taste good. It shouldn't taste crap. <laughs> yep. That's not fair trade at that final point. <laughs> yeah, Whereas farmers grow better quality coffee, get massively more money for the for the farmers and then you end up with a much better cup of coffee all the way everyone gets a fair trade and mm. to me that's how it should work and it doesn't in coffee so we mm. still by chance some coffee we buy has fair trade but we will never buy a coffee just because it's fair trade if it doesn't taste good because mm. yeah the not- the aspects of you know if, if the uh, if the coffee farmer is actually getting more than fair trade then his kind of impact on the environment and how he looks after his team and water use and where it's yes, grown all of yeah. that presumably you still look into it we work with importers who look into it on our behalf so yeah. it, it's impractical really to go direct to farms although if you look on instagram a lot of roasters make it look like that happens but it really direct trade is a phenomenally hard thing you're working with sometimes cooperatives of tiny farms up in the mountains in ethiopia and you've got to negotiate i've heard stories before of roasters who have worked direct with farms for two or three years buying their coffee even though the quality wasn't great but then the money they had committed was then put into investment in processing methods the quality's gone up same again the next year and they've got this coffee's got really good and then a middleman as there's a lot in coffee has come along and said well we'll give you this much they've gone to buy the lot the next year and the farmer said oh it's all sold it and so the, the the direct trade model is incredibly difficult and unless your feet on the ground in those growing regions i wouldn't like to even um yeah, we, we try not to bullshit our Instagram account with pictures of me playing the big white Jesus next to a couple of farmers. Yeah. We're saving these guys. We, we try and keep our ethics based more on back here. And then yeah. we rely on our importer to 
make sure they're buying really good quality yeah. coffee from farms that are trading ethically. Okay, so, and they can they can prove that you have the yes, conversation, yeah, you work. Yeah, but with we them, completely so. outsource that yeah, side, perfect. and we don't pretend okay. to do that ourselves either. That's their speciality, mm. um, and we make sure we're buying coffee that we're happy with where it's come from. Okay, so just um, get, so going back to the the story, so the, you 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 know moving out of the cafes because fundamentally you couldn't find anybody that was that was sort of selling you the the coffee that you wanted once the guys had gone to the supermarkets. That's when you. Yeah, yeah. So for those guys, yeah, I was actually glad they're selling amazing coffee to supermarkets because it's raising the coffee standards. That we're we're in a unique situation with coffee where the speciality market, has, well, coffee in general has boomed. I mean, it's just gone enormous. Um, but 95% of it still, I'm making that figure up, but I'm <laughs> yeah. going to guess 95% of it is still commodity bought, traded, pretty bad coffee. But the speciality sector just grows with the commodity sector. So every time a Starbucks opens up, yeah, there's more room for speciality customers. The more people start drinking coffee at Starbucks and Costa, the more of their customers are going to start looking for, oh, what's a better cup of coffee sort of thing. So our sector just grows with the, so you can't slate Starbucks and Costa if you're in speciality coffee because what they've done for our end of the industry has been phenomenal. So we just grow with them. So putting good quality coffee into a supermarket, I think is great. It's giving consumers knowledge and it's supporting farms because they trade very ethically union. It just meant we couldn't differentiate ourselves as a true independent cafe when you can buy our products in the supermarkets. It didn't look right. It didn't feel right for me. Okay. I don't, I don't know how you found it, but we used to have customers come in, particularly we're in Boscombe, it's a unique place, but customers are coming in and going, £1.50 for a cup of tea, I can buy a tea bag for 10p. Correct. And, and yeah. you want to say, well, go home, make your own tea, <laughs> <laughs> wash your own cup up. Yeah. That, that lack and of uh, appreciation of where it, the money goes is mind It's because there's that direct correlation between the cost of a tea bag. So unless you sell loose leaf tea made in a pot and make it different, there's always that correlation back to how much does it cost. Um, and that's why as soon as the coffee was in the supermarket, there's a correlation back. So we had to step away from Union, which was a shame because I love their coffee, but also not a bad move. We would have moved anyway at some point just because we want to try different coffees. You get As a barista, you get bored. I don't want to just... Union coffees, I don't know about now, but back then all tasted like Union coffees. So it had a range of single origins and blends. But we did the we used to do the tasting on the Great Taste Awards for the espresso, and um, they didn't used to mix the beans all that well. So they'd just be in the order they got sent in, and you could tell when you hit the Union coffees, it's all blind tasted. But you'd have five or six that you absolutely had that signature of Union coffee on them. Um, so again, we would have moved just because we want to try a different style of roasting. Okay, we we bought two identical coffees. Um, from two different roasters before we've noticed they've had the same lot from the same farm on their list at the same time and we've bought those and they'll taste different just because they've been roasted differently so um, we kept moving for those reasons really but eventually you get to the point where if we can't manipulate the flavours the way we want to we're always playing with someone else's roast so it was a natural progression if you're chasing the best cup of coffee So when was the first time you started roasting your own then? Yeah production like using our own coffee was about four years ago um we'd messed around with roasting for quite a long time before like gone and used other people's roasters and played around with it tried to roast lots that we could sell in the cafe it was never really good enough but there was so much more to it than i'd realized we bought a roaster seven years ago but didn't get it plumbed in or working we just got a really good deal on a second hand one i got overexcited bought yeah. it had nowhere to put it another thing um, you ended up with <laughs> yeah interesting about that we we'd opened south coast roast yep. in bournemouth so from boscanova we decided like so many people said we need good coffee in bournemouth there needs to be good coffee in bournemouth at the time there were very few quality focused venues in bournemouth so i had a real concern over do people want this but eventually we we took the leap we needed to grow. We were kind of stuck as one cafe. We kept losing good staff because there was no progression. 
Um, we also ran on two and a half chefs and it's really hard to find a half chef. So that allowed us to have three full-time chefs, which was better. Um, so we opened and we called it South Coast Roast because, you know, we were getting into roasting coffee and we work on the South Coast. It sounded like a good name. And we were just inundated with people asking, is it is it beef or pork? Like 10 o'clock on a Wednesday morning, what's the roast? Brilliant. And then going, oh, coffee. No way, really. I <laughs> and it's that, that classic, you know, you're stuck in your own business. And to us, roast means coffee. Absolutely. Yeah, Everyone else funny. in England, roast yeah. means dinner. Yeah, I know, <laughs> and, um, I know that. So it's a terrible name, really, really bad name. It now doesn't matter because it's got its reputation, but for day one, awful choices just a silly mistake yeah. um so we plonked the roaster that we had nowhere to put in the window and that sold that straight away so um it never actually worked while it was sat there but it okay it got it, people realized instantly it's roast coffee roast so. right so where does the name bad hand come from then Oh, it doesn't really. It, I'm just fed up with naming places. Right. It, does, it doesn't make a difference. It doesn't does it? sound like a roast dinner. No. Yeah. Maybe a car yeah, game. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, two reasons. One, it's a kind of ugly name. It's jarring. It's really a bad choice of name. Bad hand because it's hand roasted coffee. So bad hand roasted coffee. Like, you know, <laughs> it, it's a really crap name and it's quite jarring. And the logo can be really, and people remember that. Right. Brilliant. Um, so it really sticks in people's minds. And secondly, I knew a guy called Bad Hand um, who was a Native American who I worked with in Colorado. Um, he was kind of crazy, actually, but a real sound guy. And um, I just remember being introduced to him. And he was introduced to about three or four of us. And there was like Dave, Simon, Joe. <laughs> and he goes, Bad Hand. I was like, fuck. <laughs> that is a cool name. <laughs> I was like, I'm Joe. Yeah. I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, ah, oh, I'm never going to get to be called Bad Hand. Like, I can't get away with changing my name to that. My mates will devastate me if I say, actually, I'd like to be known as Bad Hand from now on. Um, so I sort of always had this secret urge to call something Bad Hand. I couldn't inflict it on any of my children. So right. in, in desperation for any other name, it was like, oh, Bad Hand. Yeah, yeah Amazing. You're Done right. It. it does stand yeah. out now. And, and not mm. only have you, uh, yeah, you've not named one of your kids, but it is about sort of 20 foot high on the outside of the building as you walk yeah, through yeah, town, yeah, isn't it? So, yeah, uh, you can't miss it. Yeah, yeah. yeah probably we're, even more We're on fun. such a back street. It was kind of like, well, this will be a real cheeky, like yeah, no, everyone looks, will see it at least. It looks really good. So Bad Hand yeah. Natural Roasting, what's that, a couple of years now or less than that? Yeah, well, we only officially switched name after we sold South Coast Roast, the cafe, because um, obviously both cafes were sold with their names because it made, yeah, they had a great reputation. So the people buying them wanted to keep running it, you know, the same, make, obviously make tweaks, changes and improvements, but, you know, maintain it as the same venue. There's no change. Um, so we had to change our name anyway. And South Coast Roast Coffee Roasters was a crap name. So we've kind of been operating as Bad Hand officially for only a year, but we've been roasting separately from the cafe for a couple of years. Okay. Uh, miss anything from the cafe side or are you glad you've uh, just gone um, to almost back a house, I suppose, in, in the hospitality sector? Yeah, do you know what? I don't. I missed the initial buzz from years ago, but I, I recognise you can't get that back. Yeah. Um, and I also don't have the urge to open venues anymore because I don't know what I would... There's not that niche. There's not that something missing. With roasting, to me, there's something missing. Yeah, most venues buy coffee either as a complete commodity afterthought. They just order from their food supplier, whatever coffee they've got. It's either price-driven and they literally don't care or they're buying something from a roaster they might have heard of or drunk somewhere and thought, all oh, the branding's good or like the taste of it. But then once you've bought that coffee, it tends to be just then delivered by courier in packets that are non-biodegradable in any way or non-recyclable. Uh, and you don't really get service or support with it. You can book in training, but it's hard. If you have breakdowns, they're a long way away. There's no 
the facilities are all there, but in reality, the, the service isn't really there to back it up. Whereas we felt, well, we can roast for you per week to order. We can flex up, down. We can change your roast for you. We can be there. If you call us with a breakdown, we can be there really bloody quick. Um, we can also advise because we run cafes on so long. We can give a lot of advice, particularly more so with the startups than with someone like you who's been operating a long time. But with a startup, you can be very helpful with just some small layout changes, staffing changes, menu changes. You know, we've had customers with huge bloated coffee menus that we can strip down to just a five item menu and their customers love it. And the service speed's rapid and life gets easier. So we can give all those years of experience running cafes to our coffee customers. Hmm. And training is basically on tap up at the roastery. You can book in. It's, it's almost never we can't fit you in within the next couple of days and get some training done for staff as it turns over. So our, our aim again with the roastery is service-based as our priority is can we give that service. We we always tried to at Boscanova and South Coast and we always had problems along the way, but that was our aim. And I think we over, overarchingly achieved a better quality of service than most cafe competitors on the high street. And that's our aim with the roastery. So there's brilliant roasters in the UK, but if they give better service than I do in Bournemouth and they're based in London, then I'm doing something heinously wrong and need mm. to up my game. Yeah, so sense. no one should be able to outserve us. Yeah, <laughs> no, good. Um, and then you mentioned that actually roasting coffee is, is, is harder when you first tried it. You know, it was, it was challenging and the yeah. coffee was fundamentally a little bit shit. So yeah. what have you learned <laughs> on that journey and how do you now nail that beautiful kind of coffee? Ah, uh, Heather and Luke. <laughs> delegation. <laughs> we have Heather and Luke who are both right. coffee geniuses. Um, yeah, I've got a massive passion for coffee, um, but my skill isn't at the right level. So Heather's your roaster for those. Yeah, guys. Heather's our <laughs> head roaster. That, yeah. Luke's uh, was our sort of head brister, head of coffee, and was our roaster at the beginning. Um, interesting work for Conquer Gin for a few years, um, who I know you've done a podcast with. Yeah. Um, missed coffee, and so is back with us now, sort of doing all the training, looking Sobered after up. customers. But between the two of those guys, their palate is just better than mine. I've, I've got a good vision of what I think will sell. Like I think what's missing, coffee roasting went too light, too fruity, too floral. It was very popular, but I didn't see customers loving it. So we've taken our roasting a bit more old school at the moment and the feedback's been phenomenal. So I've got more of that kind of view on coffee. But when it comes to actually making the coffee taste amazing, choosing the right beans in the first place and then roasting them correctly, then okay. yeah, nice, nice I've, that you've I've got found it's better to employ someone who's better at it than I am. Yeah. <laughs> so how about the other aspect apart from great coffee? You're renowned for your uh, environmental impact and the details that you go to literally down to packaging, to delivery. Does that come from you? Uh, all of us, actually. I've, I think from uh, me and my wife have got a huge passion for it and I think you end up attracting people who work with you who have similar ethics i guess along the way so we've kind of ended up with a whole load of us who do care but um yeah i get more belligerent about it as i get older right. okay. <laughs> but um but i've got to say my team are just as good at staying on it you know when i'm being lazy one day they'll say hey yeah. so <laughs> <Wrong> what, <bin." laughs> what's been some of the biggest challenges or some of the stuff you've achieved that others just have, have kind of given up and gone that's too hard uh, i don't know if any of it's really a challenge it's just a case of thinking about it um, it's just a case of thinking about it. I I don't know if it would be any easier or cheaper for us to buy stand coffee packets and pack kilo bags. What do you use at the moment? Uh, reusable tubs. 
Um, we were using metal ones because we'd rather that than plastic, but actually they don't last. They There's too many problems with using the metal ones. So we've actually gone with plastic ones, but the original plastic ones we bought, we've had nearly three years of use out of. So I, I weigh up against the plastic that we get good use and then we can recycle the plastic we use. And because we're, we're in charge of those buckets, they come back to us. We can make sure they're recycled. Um, so yeah, at the moment, a combination of metal and plastic tubs, but they're heavy duty, reusable. Worst problem is people like your chefs love them, right? So they, they end up in the kitchen, but they're being reused. I was going to say, they'll so use them for a long time. They're being but, used yeah. and used for a long time. So, But the, the standard is to put into like a foil or plastic lined packet, vacuum sealed, then pack into a box and then send by a courier. Um, we put into reusable, which we take back and sanitize. Then we deliver 90%, I'd say, by bicycle. That's impressive. Um, hideous weather, we'll take the van out. But Heather will cycle a long way, Wimborne, which is like, wow. what, 10, 10 miles? miles? Yeah, yeah. yeah. In, in some pretty bad rainy conditions. Really? Um, That's quite a commitment, not just from a, you know, it's a great environmental commitment, from a time commitment, though. Yeah. <laughs> great fitness. But, yeah, um, it, the time commitment's hard. But again, yeah, it's, you, you know, I'm happy my staff are out doing different things. We want our roasters going to do deliveries because they can taste the coffee. So the roasting team deliver the coffee. Um, if we deliver by bike, it keeps us fit and healthy. It keeps the impact down. But from a financial point of view, we don't have to run a delivery van and ensure that and MOT it and deal with breakdowns on it. So I'm not even sure there is a bigger cost in doing it the way we do it. Um, yeah. Potentially the staff cost will outweigh it, but a lot of our deliveries are faster on bike. Even Wimborne, same time on bike as it is by van. By the time I found parking paid for parking then walk to the cafe and walk back to the parking and then had some terrible traffic we can often get there and back on the bike in exactly the same time so i'm not even sure the labor cost is higher so okay. yeah i don't always see it as a challenge yeah. i see it as um just sensible really and you've deliberately made that choice that you, you know most people would obviously see the bicycle as a limit from a geography perspective of how far you can deliver yeah but you've consciously said i only want to deliver in essence within a bike's ride i can't maintain the level of service we'd like to give and that we're aiming to give we don't always hit it but what we're trying to get to i can't maintain it if we go beyond those boundaries so we deliver to a couple of places we can't get to by bike but it's because one of us lives there so you can take it in your van so we can still look after those people i wouldn't take on a customer in london and i wouldn't take on at the moment i wouldn't take on a customer even as far as southampton um because it's too far for us to genuinely be able to look after them and make sure the coffee tastes right as well so. okay so if you can nail the service side of the business you'll you'll expand beyond bournemouth would you say or? i don't know no, at the moment so i don't know i've I, we, well, our roaster has capacity to do four times the volume we're doing, but we don't have capacity to look after four times the volume of customers in the way we'd like to. So we need to explore other avenues for can we roast coffee for offices? Um, we're in talks with Lush about roasting the coffee for their products. So that would be just a tolling cost. They'd provide us the beans. We'd just do a roast cost. And um, then again, they're keeping it more local. Um, and we wouldn't take on any extra customers to look after. So it could be a large volume of coffee without any extra customers. The, the worst situation for us is taking on the fun customers, which are the small startup cafes, and they're the ones we like doing. But everyone you pick up involves a huge amount of equipment and setup and training and problems backwards and forwards over quite a long period before they just settle into pretty much maintaining themselves with a little bit of training here and there. So they're the ones we like doing, but we physically, if we took on, if we doubled now all with small independent cafes, we wouldn't be able to maintain the service. So we need a mixture of some, maybe some white label roasting for companies that we can, we're happy to roast for and their okay. ethics are okay. 
um, then bad hand supplying independent places around the Bournemouth area. Mm. Um, and then we look selling online. Now we've got these packets that are fully omnidegradable and have no impact on the environment. Um, we've started selling online as well. Okay. But, and are you starting to get a take up of that uh, outside of the town? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, not massively outside. It's early days, we've only been going yeah. a month. But right. yeah, it's a nice little tick over and we haven't promoted yet, but that's an area we need to expand as well. Because again, we're selling direct to customer. We're getting them quality coffee and it's plastic free completely. It's omnidegradable packets, paper labels, paper envelopes. There's no plastic anywhere on it. So we feel good about sending that out. Yeah. And um, that's a subscription base. So, so six months, six week or three month subscription, I think it is. Uh, you it? can do a one off. And oh, you? interestingly, you are one of many people who haven't realized that. So we're going to yeah. have a relook at the website okay. in the new year because yeah. a lot of people don't realize you can just buy a packet. Right. Okay. To be fair, that might just, I, just, I just like the no, subscription it, model. Yeah. So lots of people, for, lots but, of people that have only noticed the subscription. Yeah. So we, there's something we need to look at on the website. Yeah. So you, now you mention it, I do remember there's a page with, with each individual product, but I was, it, was, it was a brief look. But I personally, personally love that subscription model um, yeah. but I think it's also Great the, the collaboration yeah it's once amazing. a week for yeah. six weeks is and easy I, I love so. the fact you do a kind of roaster's choice so I actually really like trying different coffees so that opportunity yeah. not to have the same one every week and not to have to worry about picking it either yeah. so for me that's I don't know if that's for every customer I thought for, you meant picking the beans me, then but I get what you mean picking yeah, the coffee yeah, I was like yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I definitely don't want to be doing that that's a big commitment yeah. but for me that would be my job I don't want to choose I, my favourite restaurant is the one you walk in and they 100%. say you should try this it's on the specials yeah. and I'm I'm the instant like yeah Invariably, if I go into a restaurant, I, you know, I say, "What's good?" Yeah, you know, yeah, what's good? What can I have? You know, yeah. and if I go into a restaurant, you know, particularly kind of, you know, the Chinese and Asian and all that, where there's just so much stuff, and I'm like, "Look, can you just do a, a sharing platter for the table? There's yeah, six of yeah. us. Just bring out, you know, well, here's the budget. Bring out a load of food." And it's not that I'm being lazy. I just, I genuinely don't. I don't want to look at all of that. It's often a lovely way me. to eat as well. Yeah, just a is. surprise of nice food yeah. coming out the kitchen. It's got to be fun for the chefs as well, right? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, that collaboration you mentioned with Lush is great. I was um, with um, with Conquer. He's just collaborated with the RNL. Um, to do some charity stuff nice. with his bottles but I think we're lucky in this town that we've got some really interesting kind of brands and Lush is a great example that they're yeah. global but they've done some good stuff so yeah if you can roast their coffee that would be pretty awesome um, you mentioned the um, you know the, 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 the chains and you were uh, you were being very pleasant about the fact that actually the more Costas and the more Starbucks and places like that that actually the speciality coffee can build around it um, we've noticed it a little bit you know there's been a resurgence in craft beer but some of those big brewers now and some of the big pubs are getting pretty nifty at, um, at kind of rebranding themselves yeah. as the little guy and you used to go into a pub that you knew was part of a chain of pubs and it would have the same sign outside and now they you know they close for a refurb and two months later it opens and you think yeah, normally until you yeah, until you try the food, you, you walk in and you go, oh, great, this is a little, you know, now an independent yeah. pub again. That's really good. And and it looks like it and it's nicely lit and the branding's like a one-off and, and then normally you order lunch and you go, oh, okay, right, yeah. this is all actually out, out of the bucket <laughs> and it's a bit shit. Um, do you worry whether the whether the coffee, kind of the big guys are going to do the same? Are they going to start investing uh, in little kind of, you know, sub-brands and using some words? Some of them like, have, actually, and it hasn't really taken off, actually. There was, um, was it Harrison Hall? It was a kind of combination of... Um, Union Coffee, the guys that had Taylor Street Baristas, which was a fantastic sort of independently owned chain that really smashed it around London and moved a little bit outside of London, I think. And uh, and then I think they got slammed for getting funding through Tesco's for the project. But whether that's a bad thing or not, I, I kind that. of hmm. reserve judgment a bit. But I, as I went to try one out, but it just felt like a, a massive chain venue that's used all the tricks of being an independent. But it, it to me, they feel like someone's taken a tick list, exposed Brits tattooed barista 
funny shaped cups. <laughs> beard. Yeah, 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 yeah. Industrial lighting. Yeah, yeah. lots of beards. Yeah. And they've ticked all the boxes, but it doesn't have the passion. Yeah, it's not the same. Um, but yeah, I think it will happen more and more. The, yeah, the cafes get, the chains get better and better at masking it. I, I think it's much harder in your industry than in cafes. I think the restaurant chains have got so much money behind them. Um, the coffee chains work very much off their brand as it is. So there's no mm. major benefit in them changing at the moment. Mm. They just grow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The challenge in the restaurant side is kind of the reason behind this podcast really, but that, um, that, you know, domination by these huge deep pocketed mm. venture capitalists who can, who can operate at a loss yeah. for a long time, who just look at it as a unit growth. So they, you know, they might've bought in, the yeah. VC might've bought in at 50 units and they go, right, we're going to double to hundred units. If 20 of those units are loss making in there, in the mix, you know, as long as it's brand awareness and others are making a good profit, but as the local, independent who might be 20 meters away from that big chain restaurant who's putting out Tough. vouchers yeah. and marketing and all that kind of stuff and i do believe you know everybody you speak to independently well you know the, the the consumer will say no no no, i'd much rather go to the independent but in reality when you ask him you know where's the last yeah. place you went out for dinner it's all too often yeah uh, the voucher chain. thing i think was a real problem mm. and i still i don't think independent should do it i think they should stand by this is my price for what I do because it's this. Because it at one point it was a real downward spiral, even for the chains, I seem to remember. And again, this is just off a few conversations I had years ago, but the guy who was running the Cafe Rouge in Westbourne, and this is going back a few years, but he was saying to me, we've killed ourselves with vouchers. He said, because if we do a deal on a Wednesday, we're full. But then if we don't do a deal on a Friday and Pizza Express do, they're full. And everyone's full on their vouchers. So we're all full at half price. <laughs> and then we're dead at full price. Yeah. He said, it feels like we just shot ourselves in the foot. Mm. And, um, and I think that was a bad habit for restaurants pushed onto customers. And then customers got very used to the, as you would, the, the deals and all the deal websites. I don't think we're good for the industry no not at all how we get out of that now though i don't no know it's idea. become this yeah. because there's very few barriers to entry in the restaurant trade so you know, not so much for the for the big guys in the fact they've got to have their investment but it's quite easy for them to get buildings and fit them out but for the independents coming into it it's a you big know, you can open up and uh yeah and then you know most of them are gone within within 24 months but for the kind of yeah. the long-term guys have invested maybe the bigger cash less sort of pop-up orientated it just makes it harder Tough. and harder yeah. and harder so yeah uh, I'm, I'm i'm optimistic because there's a lot of really passionate people most people you speak to love go into their local bar go into their local restaurant you know that kind of everybody's got great memories of the clink and a kind of glasses yeah. when you walk into a kind of a bar and there might be a wood fire on and there might be somebody strumming a guitar and you mentioned earlier even now the passion that you know in your eyes when you talk about that guy in the piano being hoisted yeah, up into yeah. the sky and playing 20 Something 30 years yeah. later it's so part of like you know life for humanity that i really hope that lasts and that formulaic dull kind of grayness that you get in every bloody chain I isn't doesn't win I think it's coming back, but I think it's like vegan food. I think it's a massively growing thing, but it's still very niche. But more and more people are definitely looking for smaller, more independent things that are using interesting local produce. I think a lot of it's about getting customers to accept there's a risk involved. You know, if we're going to cook interesting, different food every day, we might not hit the nail every single time. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're not charging extreme prices, then I think customers should be prepared to take that. Like, you know, that wasn't your best meal, but you know, the one I had last week was insane. So, and, and there's some excitement in that, I think as well. Not always knowing, well, I'm going to try this craft beer. You know what? I might not like it. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I, agree. Yeah, I might love that one, but I, I like the excitement of not knowing mm. over the, I know exactly what a Heineken tastes like. And that's where I think, if people were more prepared to take those risks, you know, yeah, you know what a Starbucks tastes like, 
but you know that independent cafe next door could be serving something stunning or maybe yeah, not might, but might you know, not. try yeah. it it's one cup of coffee you know try yeah. it you might have something a really good experience yeah and and, and i you know i love that and i and i love that a lot of people think that but you know when we tried to do the uh, the craft beer bar jenkins and sons um you know initially i was like right no multinational brands we're only going to sell interesting british you know no no big chain kind of stuff yeah uh, and we did it for two years but the number of people that would walk in and go, I don't recognise any of these beers, and walk out, and and the barman's job oh, was kind God, of like just really? try one, yeah. just try one, is, and they'd be trained. They kind of like, what do you normally drink? You know, Scumbags. I normally drink a, you know, yeah, <laughs> I drink a, you know, I drink a I put Heineken. And we go, okay, cool. So it's like a, you know, it's a premium, it's a five percent, yeah. or um, I'm trying to think, I drink a Bex, okay. So you're sort of like a session beer, four percent, quite light. Well, you know, try this one. We've got we've got Freedom Four, or we've got a Curious Brew, and and they were trained to do it. In the end, I compromised, and we put in Australia, and I was like, right, yeah. now you can order one beer that you recognise, okay. Yeah. But the barman's job still is to only allow you to have one of those. Ideally. Yeah, and then and try use and it, it and, then, and then kind of sell you yeah, the others and talk a, to yeah, you and get a great the conversation because you can't but, just send people you've got to give customers yeah, what they well, want still you're not, and, you're not um, here to kind of like you know to patronise or to preach or to become too kind of stuck up your own ass. But it's not about that. It's kind of like, look, this guy that makes this beer is super passionate, super excited. He loves what he does. He understands the hops and, 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 and yeah, and, and I guarantee you that those big brands, you know, chucking it out in the millions of litres in Europe don't care as much of this bearded dude on his skateboard yeah. just down the road. But also, where do you want to spend your money? That's, that's what bothers me sometimes. I'm like, like someone told me something that I'm going to get hideously wrong about, like silent revolution. If you're not happy with the way things are, stop spending money because basically that's what's funding it all. If you bank with regular banks and shop at Tesco's and eat at chain places, all your money is going sort of back into the same system that maybe is the one you're not happy with. Yeah. So just stop spending your money there. Mm. You know, find an interesting place to bank that's got better ethics. Stop shopping at supermarkets all the time. Yeah, maybe do some of your shopping there, but if you can get it from local shops, start putting your money there rather than putting it straight back into the hedge funds that own the big... You know, find the independent restaurant. Start thinking about where you put your money. So more for me, it's that I would rather go and support a small local brewery that's round the corner. I'd rather give him my money for beer than give it to, I don't even know who owns Heineken or Australia or all that, but yeah. I don't necessarily want to give that person my money. And yeah. that's where I think if people thought more about who am I supporting here? Mm. And there's a big problem with people not supporting small local businesses, as in, yeah, Kim Kardashian brings out a workout video. Everyone, well, yeah, that's going to be amazing. Yeah, Kanye West brings out some trainers. Oh, that'd be great. What, what the fuck does he know about trainers? Yeah, yes, he's going to have had a whole marketing team doing, but you know, big brand people do things and it gets a lot of public support. But yet, you know, you go and open a sandwich bar around the corner trying to serve like lunchtime fast sandwiches, better quality to someone else. Oh, that won't work. Yes. Yeah, and and it, it, very few people <laughs> yeah. go, yeah, shit, yeah, Mark's going to give that a go. Let's go and support you. We don't have that real mentality, I think, yet. But I think more people are caring. And I think, but I think if more people did really care and say, do you know what, we've got five or six really good beer brewers in this town, or we've got a couple of guys who roast coffee to a really high standard, or we've got umpteen really good independent restaurants where people are actually giving a shit. Um, if they say, well, I'd, I'd like to give those people my money today. Yeah. That's what it's all about. There's a reason this is called the Humans of Hospitality podcast. Yeah. Right? It's, that is exactly, yeah. exactly the point. Summers. I'm it, just going to play you in the trailer on that, <laughs> on that little rant because that is the whole point is can we get people to consciously think where where's they spend my, their where money? Where is my money ending Where they spend up, their like, money. It's 100%. Our, yeah, it, our big kicker through the, we were lucky at Boscanova. It wasn't judgment, it was luck. But 
we, the cafe sector really boomed during the recession. We'd just opened six months later. We had the crash, then slipped into recession, and I was shitting bricks. But cafes really picked up in the fact that people stopped big expensive dinners because money was tight, but started maybe having a breakfast a bit more often. So we were sat in a very fortunate position there as a cafe anyway. But in particular, we looked at putting on a basics range because all the supermarkets were doing it. And we were like, Christ, people are really tight. Maybe we should do a, a jokey version, but like a basics range menu where we'll do like a slightly cheaper bacon. Stripey and, packaging. And, uh, yeah, yeah, we'll <laughs> do like a tongue-in-cheek version. But yeah. do And then we, we looked at our profits and we were making 1% profit. And it was like, why the hell am I going to sell stuff cheaper? Mm. I'm like, we... It's shit or bust now. We said we're going to use better quality products and we're going to put our prices up a bit because we're effectively going out of business anyway if we yeah, don't yeah. do better. So now's the time to take the leap. So we just went a bit early. We put the prices up a bit and we worked really hard on value for money. That was our overarching ethic, value for money. It doesn't matter if you're selling something for £1 or £10. It's got to present good value for money because people are starting to care. When the money's this tight, people care where they spend it. They, they don't want to spend two pounds on a crap coffee they'd rather spend 280 on a really really good one where they get great service in an awesome building with some good music playing and someone remembers their name and says goodbye to them when they leave and that too they'd rather spend that two pound 80 with us than give two pounds to like weatherspoons over the road we're doing coffee at i think 150 at the time lavazza coffee mm. and we were out selling them on coffee by like 100 mm. percent. and um and it was that value for money thing though that actually I think made the biggest difference. We, yeah. were, we were lucky people started using cafes a lot more anyway, but it was value for money. And that still now is I think where the independent sector can try and really concentrate on is, do I give someone really good value for money from the service, the atmosphere to, to right when they leave, like everything, everything about what they've been in here, did it represent good value for money? Do you feel good about giving us, giving us your money? Yeah, no, it's good. Um, so you're now, uh, you know, really busy. I know you've, uh, you know, you're growing kind of organically and you're being quite careful, like you say, about who you take on. Um, with all that you've done and, and historically now having this building, do you ever feel overwhelmed? Does it ever kind of think, oh, yeah. oh my God, <laughs> what have I done? What have I created? And how do you, how do you manage that? Uh, getting rid of the cafes, selling the cafes has helped because it's just taken the stress off. We we didn't sell them for masses of money because they're small independent cafes, one of them in Boscombe, which is very hard to find people who want to run a business in Boscombe who want to also spend a lot on that business. <laughs> they, they don't yeah, exist. Just me. Yeah. yeah, so I think we sold them both for a very, very fair price. Um, so the the money was swallowed up very quickly in the refit. That wasn't the big help. The big help was just being able to focus now on, okay, we're refitting this building and we're growing the roastery. And now we try and say no to almost everything else. So even event work, can you come and serve coffee at this event? Yeah, we've got a great guy, Bajan Brew Brothers, Bajan Brew Brothers, operates a mobile unit. Jack, a phenomenal barista, makes our coffee taste great, promotes it really well and does a lot of mobile stuff. So if mobile work comes our way, you know, Jack does it. <laughs> we still get to sell him the beans, so we get benefit from it, but we're not scrambling around trying to make a... Yeah. So I'm just trying to say no to a lot more. I was going to say, yeah, that's what the question I often ask is, yeah, what have you got better at saying no to? I think I've really learned on that entrepreneurial Everything. journey. <laughs> <laughs> just, you do, because you're, you know, you're like me, it's, everything's interesting, isn't it? And, and it's get like, too overexcited. Yeah, it's like, a shiny yeah. new thing or new contact, and you think, oh, that's a really cool idea. I'd love to be involved in that. Uh, I'm still guilty of that. I've still got way, yeah. way too much What on. about the family thing, though? Because that's my hardest thing is that I'm so busy here but I live nearly an hour away and so I spend a lot of time driving back and forward and I never feel like I spend enough time focused on work or enough time focused on the family and that's the hardest 
balance and what I'm aiming to address over the next two to three years. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's a problem in the sector, isn't it? I mean, I'm quite lucky, I think, now that you know I've got a good team. But I look at some of my chefs and some of the managers and you see how many hours they're working and you see the impact yeah. it's having on relationship on their kids. And I thought, you know, I never went into, I'm, I'm in hospitality because I love people and I love human relationship and I love family and I want to create spaces where families can spend time to each other, with each other or, or business people. So the, you know, the kind of the irony of that then having a negative impact on people behind the scenes is, is kind of heartbreaking. Yeah. So it's easy with the senior team to just go, you know what, like, you know, we're, we're open 24 seven. So basically I don't monitor your holiday. I don't monitor your hours it's kind of like you know work when you want it's all about what we do i know you're all grafters and it's easier but it's 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 harder for you know some people have just got to be there at six in the morning yeah. to prep. some people have got to be there on a sunday yeah. at 6 a.m because you've got, got to 200 be people coming in on a saturday night in yeah, the kitchen, you got, yeah. yeah people coming yeah. in for a roast dinner yeah the same guy that's kind of like yeah pumping out roast we've got better at closing so we're closed uh the hotel's open on christmas day but the other venues are now closed christmas day mainly because i just seem to feel so guilty about yeah. people working on christmas day yeah. i'd always pop in and say thank you and say yeah. hello and i was like wow it's having an impact on my christmas there christmas many customers come out on christmas we day could feel I, christmas I was day all day the cafe i was like yeah if we opened it would be the demand full, but, um, is there hugely not many places open the chains are actually better now opening than some of yeah. the independents but um yeah i just can't and we I've never thought myself year. to go out on christmas day so that's why i never thought to um yeah no it's uh open yes. it in the early days but as time went on i was like Do you know what? Yeah. probably would be good but yeah. we, we can certainly do to, with the money so, yeah because yeah, we've, we've had some challenges but uh, but yeah we uh, we haven't done it so um but no family's family's tricky um but it, i think it's very much about a work-life blend rather than a work-life balance you know we blend it blend it in together you know I, yeah. I, you, you can work on the phone things are happening at the weekend my kids come with me drop into the venues just before i came to you today and um, there was something going on at the school you know i'm lucky i can pop into the school yeah. for an hour see the kids kind of join that, in make sure i'm there that's and what i miss by having the hour separation from home yeah so, um, <clears throat> my eldest son only lives with me half the time so we live where he goes to school um, my younger ones have only just started school so um I think when he's a bit older, we'd look to move this way because, again, the way I work is so flexible time-wise. If my family was close, I'd be able to yeah. very much pick up from school, do bedtime, come back and do a couple of hours in the roastery. Um, it, it, you could blend it so nicely, I think, and all spend some real quality time together. But because I've got that physical drive at the moment, that's the one thing I dislike about yeah my job yeah blend is your kids could be running home. yeah they could be running uh, around in here no problem they love they it when they, in. they, they <laughs> so rarely get to come over but when yeah. they come over they absolutely they love it's it cool, here, it's, yeah. a, it's a cool space um thinking about you know other people coming into a sector so i know uh you know we're very lucky that it's a constantly changing kind of uh, sector that we're in it's actually quite low barriers to entry people can come in without a stupid amount of money or without a particular education and i love that i love the fact that you know back to the hipsters and the quirky people we're full of people who love playing music and coloring in and using crayons and stuff like that um but do you ever hear any bad advice do you ever hear any kind of stuff that you know that you overhear business advice or people or, or the kids kind of coming up or people being told stuff or did you hear stuff where you go you know what that's bollocks <laughs> God, where do you start <laughs> do you know i don't know actually i have a huge concern that so many people go in particularly to the cafe sector so blind to the finance it's yeah the the margin in cafes is tight much tighter than people realize there's, there's a real barrier to spending over a tenner which we were talking about before this year yeah. we could put on stunning food at 10 pounds and people would be like in a cafe no thanks and uh so there's a real cap on what you can take in a cafe and coffee's got the most hideous lack of pricing flexibility so the worst coffee in the world you might pay 244 and then you can go next door and buy one of the best coffees in the world for three pounds there's such a small difference but the cost of producing that 
quality coffee in terms of equipment and staff training and water filters and all the things you need to do to make that coffee good every single day is enormous but people will happily pay just a few pence less for a crap one so um people don't realize how hard it is to make a living in a cafe and they go into it without really having thought through what they're spending on their refits so a lot of people would come to us we, we did a bit of consultancy work for quite a long time which i try and do less of now because I get too overexcited about other people's businesses while mine are collapsing behind me without me yeah, noticing. Okay. But um, it, it was really rewarding with the startups because they'd come to us, one person came to us with a £160,000 budget to do up a small cafe, basically selling some paninis, a soup and some coffee. And I was like, you are kidding me. Like, I think we stripped it down to like 80000 I, I wouldn't even have spent that much. But um, there was so much stuff we could just take straight out of the mix. And they were getting oversold by people who were like, oh, you need all stainless steel in the kitchen and you need a new outro floor down. And actually, it had quarry tiles on the floor and um, hygiene-proof walls anyway. it was it all, The regulations just say clean, wipeable surface. But a building contractor will come in and say, oh, you need extraction here and this there and this there. And people just get hugely oversold on what they think they need to open rather than just make it nice make it work get it open and see see how you're getting on no, i agree <laughs> i think it's sometimes yeah. a better i think less places would close so quickly if they hadn't committed over committed so much to their finances mm. this, this is talking small cafe level mm. no i've learned that um, the hard way as well i mean you know a, a, a commercial fit out of a kitchen easily 120 grand yeah, if you're doing big, a restaurant kitchen yeah. just a couple of rationale ovens is like you know 12k stick a range in you know another 15 it's, it's huge money isn't it huge, yeah refrigerator walk-in fridge 15k you know like what extraction 12k yeah like, hang on, hang on hang it just on. stacks up yeah. doesn't it yeah and you're making like you know but at yeah, least, at least in, a, in a restaurant you're talking much bigger spend margins tough yeah it, it is tough i think that's one area people could almost do with a course on just basic finance for catering or hospitality yeah. for people before they go in to really focus them on that a little bit and uh, most of the time when we've got customers who are struggling who say oh, i can give us some help i go and speak to them about oh, what, what percentage are you aiming for your staff to be of your turnover because like, we used to work off 30% staff, 30% cost of goods, 20% on overheads, and you're left with 20% of your turnover. Now, we never, ever hit that. No, no I've yeah. never hit that. Bad times, we, we used to run between 1% and 4%. Yeah. The best we ever did, we ran at 16% for one quarter, and I, wow. we felt that. It was That's amazing. Cool. I felt like the richest yeah. guy in the world. Yeah, and nice. barely lift my hands for the gold watches and chains. And, <laughs> but yeah, that was, three one, months. that was one quarter, yeah. <laughs> and then it went back to... But yeah, staff cost is on the rise. Yeah, Hugely. Yeah, we used to always pay above minimum wage, and I don't know how cafes would afford to pay above minimum wage. Now it's gone up so much. It, most people I know, it's 40 percent or more of their turnover um and then food costs just kept going up and up and up and up and as i believe they kind of need to to be sustainable but uh the sale cost of the food hasn't gone up mm. <laughs> with the the purchase cost of the raw ingredients so your cost of goods is sitting around 40% at a lot of places. And then suddenly where's your 20%? It's just gone. Yeah, no. <laughs> so, well, I think you're seeing it nationally. And that, it's and that a tough, is a, yeah, tough yeah. market for, for that. And Usually. the people entering into that, I think aren't yeah. 
maybe that's work. the biggest area they yeah. need a, okay. a short sharp look but at the same time it, it's a passion killer as soon as you start thinking about numbers your creative brain closes up it's true yeah. and suddenly you're going to say we no, can't, we can't open. <laughs> yeah we can't end this uh, this hospitality on a down and much as i could spend the next 10 minutes talking about <laughs> margins and price of food and price of staff yeah, and stuff like that i would bit. love to <laughs> it is yeah but you're right it is uh, it's so important to get your head around those numbers but uh yeah you know let's end positively what's next for bad hand what do you see the sort of you know the future over the next couple of years what's your thoughts Oh, for bad hand, um, we just want to keep doing what we do. I'd like to double the turnover we do uh, and then kind of pause and see, you know, we've, I've got three fantastic members of staff. They're the best people I've ever worked with and they're, they're all staff from pre us just being a roastery and they're the best people I've ever had and they're still with me now. So I feel really privileged to have that. And um, I don't want to grow unnecessarily. I want to take it to a point where the four of us can keep doing what we do and push that to a level where we're happy, but it's not affecting our quality of life. Um, we want to always look at more ethical ways of doing what we do. Um, we'd like to start roasting a charity blender coffee. So something where literally 100% of profits is put back. Um, so run that as a sort of side project, nice. um, particularly to do with ocean conservation. So maybe team up with Sea Shepherd or someone like that and produce a coffee just for them that sold on its own website and and we'd probably not do it as profits. We'd just do a percentage of sales. So it's a very fair number because I think people can fudge, you know, when people say, oh, 10% of profits and then, oh, we didn't make any profits. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we do literally 50% of the sale price goes direct to ocean conservation, something like that. So try and springboard off it as we start doing better, try and also use the brand to hopefully link up with other brands to try and get some reach to actually do some positive good as well. Um, and then get this bloody warehouse finished, <laughs> which <laughs> is a good another couple of years. Yeah. But get it warmer. Yeah, yeah. it's going to be vibrant when it's full. We, we're going to have at least eight or nine businesses working out of here, all startups, all passionate people, mainly people working with their hands as well. I think the Amazing. vibe's going to be fantastic. So um, mm. get that finished. So it's a really great space for people to come and work and um, start businesses in. You don't see it because you're here every day, I'm sure. But every time I come, it's always like, oh, wow, you've got yeah. a bit more of a roof or you've got yeah. another door yeah. or you're like, you're really pushing the back. Oh my God, you've got yeah. glass in the windows. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so congratulations. Yeah, you don't you've see done. it when you're here every day. It's no, hard, it's it's hard to see, but it is, yeah. it's changing a lot. And I, I hope in a couple of years, it'll be fully, fully done. And, yeah. uh, Amazing. Right. Well, I could uh, literally talk all day. We've already hugely overrun. So hopefully we can continue this conversation, you know, Man, maybe in a, in a year's yeah. time. It's been great. Um, just where can people find out more if they want to find out more about you or the coffee? Where's the best place to go? Badhandcoffee.com. Yeah. Head on there. We've got the subscription coffee. Um, we also make a CBD infused cold brew coffee, which is, I think, the only thing that's kept me sane. Like when you're saying about like the pressures the of work, like yeah. CBD changed my life, keeps me much calmer. Um, so we, we also do that, which is hightidecoldbrew.com. Um, but there's information about the roastery and any feedback, you know, email us. Yeah, we're always looking to learn for ways to do better. We're looking for new people to work with that we can kind of agree with their ethics and they want to serve good coffee so amazing yeah. perfect well look thank you again so much for sparing the time uh you know we're all super busy it's massively appreciated and uh we'll catch up again soon cheers Thanks, Joe. good luck with the podcast thank you very much cheers yeah. 
So there you have it, another week and another Humans of Hospitality episode recorded. I very much hope you enjoyed that conversation with Joe and please do, as he says, check out his website, badhandcoffee.com. And if you are looking for some space and you're in the Bournemouth area, and as he says, it's probably a collective of hipsters, then uh, go down and see him, check out the warehouse space he's got. Quite possibly your business would thrive working alongside Joe and the rest of the gang down there. Uh, We will now be releasing new episodes of the Humans of Hospitality podcast every single week. So uh, please go to your, I don't know, iTunes or podcast provider of choice. Click on subscribe and hopefully we will automatically appear in your feed. And as I said at the start, any feedback I do want to know. uh, This is early days. I've been thinking about this project for probably about a year. Uh, Very excited to finally get on with it. Uh, Hope you will share the journey with me, but I would love your feedback feedback what works well for you what works less well what kind of episodes do you want what length would you want any kind of subjects people you'd like me to uh, interview please get in touch uh, at mark crib via twitter and instagram or go to humansofhospitality.co.uk website and uh, find the links and more information on there okay thank you so much hopefully i will be in your earpieces or on your stereos in a week's time thank you